Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. All right, Acts chapter 8. I'm going to be reading this out of the Amplified Version today. Uh, we normally work out of the KJV and refer to the Amplified, but I just feel prompted to read it out of the Amplified today. Uh, there's not a much difference. Uh, it says this, But an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and proceed southward, for at midday on the road that runs from Jerusalem down to Gaza, this is a desert route. So he got up and went. And behold, an Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was now returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. Then the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go forward, join yourself to this chariot. Accordingly, Philip, running up to him, heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah, and asked, Do you really understand what you are reading? And he said, How is it possible for me to do so unless someone explains it to me and guides me in the right way? And he earnestly requested Philip to come up and sit beside him. Now this was the passage of Scripture which he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, he was taken away. By distressing and oppressive judgment and judgment was denied him cause to cease. Who can describe or relate in full the wickedness of his contemporaries' generation? For his life is taken from the earth and a bloody death inflicted upon him. And the eunuch said to Philip, I beg of you, tell me about whom does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this portion of Scripture, he announced to him the glad tidings of the gospel of Jesus and about Jesus. And as they continued along the way, they came to some water, and the eunuch exclaimed, See, here is water. What is to hinder my being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, if you have a conviction full of joyful trust, that Jesus is the Messiah and accept Him as the author of your salvation in the kingdom of God, giving Him your obedience, then you may be baptized. And he replied, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered that the chariot be stopped, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly caught Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing on, he preached the good news or the gospel to all the towns until he reached Caesarea. A little bit of a lengthy text this morning. Really, it's a story, a true story, uh, out of the book of Acts. Father, just touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word today. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear and their hearts to receive, we pray, as we deliver your word to these people today. Give me fluency, give me clarity, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this passage of Scripture addresses the conversation that took place between the evangelist Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, which resulted 
in the eunuch's conversion and his subsequent water baptism. People generally approach the message of the gospel from many different backgrounds and from many different points of view. But the thing that I love about the Word of God is God's Word helps us clear the clutter and shines the light on the person and the deity and the work of Jesus Christ. Fulfilling what Jesus said when He said, He said, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Today's study in the scripture that I worked putting together this past week should help us better understand the experience of Philip and this Ethiopian and the conversion. Now the whole concept of conversational evangelism and those of you that have not heard the other six messages on conversational evangelism you really need to go back on the YouTube channel or go to Podbean or go to iTunes or someplace like that and you need to find them and you need to listen to them because the first six messages we dealt with conversations that Jesus himself had with individuals and we dealt with how that he led these people to full faith and trust in himself. Today I have chosen to go into the book of Acts, to venture into the book of Acts I think it's amazing. We can look here in the book of Acts chapter 8. And it wasn't until I believe it was Acts chapter 10. I'm not sure. But, I, but I, in Acts chapter 8, God was already moving in Samaria. He was already moving in Samaria. The Bible said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So there was a great spiritual revival that was taking place in Samaria when God spoke to Philip and called him to the desert. Now, when we look at what God was doing, I mean, think, I want you to think about what Philip was leaving. The Bible said in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 44, 41, that 3,000 people was added to the Lord in one day. Philip was probably there. You go on down to Acts chapter 3, the next chapter, and all the way through Acts chapter 4 and verse number 4, and the Bible said that there was a great revival that took place on Solomon's porch, and 2,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ. And then you go down to Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, which is the passage that precedes one of the passages that I shared with you here today in our text, and the Bible doesn't put a number on it. The Bible said that multitudes from Samaria were given their life to Jesus Christ. Wow. And so God reaches down, he looks at Philip, and he says, Philip, I want you to leave this great unprecedented revival where literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people are giving their life to Jesus every day, and I'm sending you to the desert. Now, Philip could have said, but Lord, I'm one of the preachers. I'm one of the prophets. I'm, I'm one of the apostles. People are counting on me. But I think the fact that Philip said, Okay, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. And I'll be what you want me to be. I think that was the kind of thing that God was looking for in a man. And he chose Philip. And Philip, not knowing 
that he was going to run into a eunuch in the desert just followed the direction of the Lord and turned and left and went started walking down a desert road. Now, without getting too far into the weeds here, let me just kind of point a little, a little something out here. How many of us could be clear enough in hearing God in the midst of a gigantic revival to leave it all to just go walk a desert road. You see, those are the kind of people that God can use. That's the kind of people that God can use. Here's the point that God's trying to make, I think, here as we get started today. God cares about individuals. You see, we see the masses, but God sees individuals. God sees people. And God cares about individuals so much that he was willing to, full, to pull Philip off task in order for him to share the message of the gospel with one individual. Now, here's the thing that we can learn from that, okay? We're not just a number to God. God knows our name. I want you to look to your neighbor right now and say, you are special to God. Don't let anyone else tell you any different. Tell them that. So Philip's walking along here in the desert. So I, I want you to kind of see that. Philip is walking along here in the desert. And in Acts chapter 8, verses 29 through 20, the Bible said that the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go forward and join yourself to this chariot. That's what the Holy Spirit said unto him, okay? Accordingly, the Bible said, Philip running up to him heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, do you really understand what you are reading? Now, and obviously he said to him, he said, how can I understand it unless someone comes along and shares it with me? Someone that has some education along these lines unless they come along and share it with me. Which leads me to the point that the world needs the gospel. The world needs the gospel. The world needs someone to explain to them the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here I am. I'm, I'm going I'm to take off into what some people would call the weeds, but I'm just going to say it like it is. And I've been kind of blowing a few of our Facebook pages up and Twitter and different things with little, little statements like this. Like, I think I said it last week. I think we need to let the psychologists do the life coaching and let the preachers preach the gospel. See, what's happening is what's coming out of the pulpits today is no longer the gospel. The Bible says, here's what the Word of God says. The Bible says, In the last days they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and many will depart from the truth. And the Bible also tells us if anyone, an angel from heaven even comes and preaches another gospel unto you except the gospel of Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. I want to encourage you today to stick with the gospel. Stick with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's okay. You don't have to agree with me, but I'm just preaching to you the word of God this morning, okay? Romans chapter 10, verses 11. I'm going I'm to share this with you. Romans chapter 10. Let me get it up here for me, and I know they'll have it up there. But Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15 addresses this. It says this. The scripture says, No man who believes in him, who adheres to, relies on, and trusts in him, will ever be put to shame or disappointed. No one, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord over all of us, and He generously bestows His gifts upon all who call upon Him in faith. 
Verse number 13, here's what the Word of God says. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. The purpose of the gospel message is to entice the lost to call upon the name of the Lord. It's that simple. That's the purpose of the gospel message. When the apostles stood on the day of Pentecost, they preached Jesus. When they stood on Solomon's porch, they preached Jesus. When the apostle Paul went to Cornelius' house, he could have preached anything that he wanted to, but instead he preached Jesus. When he was standing before the Sanhedrin and got the attention of Onesimus, he was preaching Jesus. The church needs to start preaching Jesus again. They need to start preaching the cross again. They need to try start preaching about the blood of Jesus again. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The Bible said that when we go down this road, sometimes we won't be popular. Sometimes people will hate you for the name of Jesus. Sometimes they'll say things about you. Sometimes they'll do, oh, you're one of those Christians? Well, I'm one of these type of Christians. You know, I go to church and when I go out of there, I feel good. Well, when I, go out, when I come out of church, I want to feel challenged by the Word of God. I want to feel fed by the Word of God. I want to feel my spirit renewed by the Word of God. Not because somebody hyped me up, but because the Word of God got in me so strong and so impacted. I was so impacted with the Word of God that when I walked out the door, the presence of God was was permeating the atmosphere because of the Word of God that was inside of us. Amen. We're the temple of the living God. Come on, church. We're the temple. I know this is a totally different message than normal, but we're the temple of the living God. Do you know what that means? That means we are the dwelling place of His passion, of His power, of His anointing, of the things that matter to Him. Amen. we got to quit aligning ourselves with superstar preachers and start aligning ourselves with the bright and the morning star which is Jesus Christ. <laughs> this past week I had the opportunity to meet uh, in person, spend a, just a few minutes with him before he went on stage, uh, Jonathan Kahn, the writer of The Harbinger, and the paradigm, and some of these other books. Later on, when he was ministering, we were sitting on the front there at Christian Retreat where he was at. When he was ministering, he was breaking down all of the things that was taking place that led up to even the political climate that we have here in America today. And he brought out how that Israel is in their second jubilee. He brought that out. Now he said, I know a lot of people think that in 1947 that that was the birth of the nation of Israel. He said it was not the birth of the nation of Israel. It was when the, UN, when the UN recognized them as a state. But Israel was born in 1917 is what he said. Then in 1967 was their first jubilee. And then 2017 is their second jubilee. And he talked about how that after their first jubilee in the 60s, he said the power of God began to move across the nation in their year of jubilee. You had the beginnings of, of the Jesus movement when so many people were giving their life to Jesus. And he said there were so many things that was happening. He said the reason is because what happens in Israel, God mirrors in the church. 
So what he was talking about was this, and it basically all came down to this. He said, we're in Israel's second jubilee, which I turned and looked at my wife, and I said, it never dawned on me. I said, if, the, if, if this whole trip down here was just for what I'm getting ready to tell you, I said, if this whole trip down here was just for this, it was worth it. But I turned and looked at my wife, and I told her, I said, I'm in my year of jubilee. I turned 50. This is my year of jubilee. It's the time when the enemy has to return things. It's the time when the enemy has to quit messing with me. It's time when lands and all of this stuff has to start coming back in the name of Jesus. But here's what he said, and it struck me, and it meant so much to me in my spirit because my spirit just identified and leaped inside of me when he was saying it. He said, whatever God does in Israel, he does in the church. And he said, just like there was an unprecedented revival in the 60s in the, at the end of their next year of Jubilee, he said, the church is now set for a move of God globally because of modern technology. And what has to happen is an unprecedented move of God that will go all around the world. So get ready, church, for a move of God, a global move of God. Now, I want you to understand something here, okay? When we talk about a move of God, we're not talking about a feel-good thing. We're talking about a move of God. We're talking about a move where chains are broken. We're talking about a move where the bond, bondages are, 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 are falling off of people and people are getting set free. We're talking about a move of God where people are doing more than just praying a little pretty fancy smancy prayer and all of this kind of stuff and saying, okay, there I am saved. We're talking about people giving their life to Christ and their life being changed and, and they're turning their life around and there's true repentance and real repentance where people's hearts are turned to God and people's hearts are turned to the passion of God. I've been praying and asking God all year last year, God, give Lakewood back an appetite for a move of God, an appetite for the prophetic, an appetite for miracles, an appetite for the anointing, an appetite for a true, authentic move of God. Why? Because when a true move of God takes place, God speaks to people and says... Leave the great revival. Go down a desert road. I want you to join yourself to a chariot and win somebody to Jesus that's going to be able to finance the move of God in the entire nation that they are over. Amen. What we see as an individual, what God saw was a key. He saw a key person. Let me continue on here. So the, my goodness. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, invoking him as Lord, will be saved. Verse 14 says this, But how are people to call upon him whom they have not believed and whom they have no faith or whom they have no reliance? And how are they to believe in him, adhere to, trust in, and rely upon him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? Amen. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Verse 15. And how can men be expected to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings. How welcome is the coming of those who preach the good news of his good things. So, Philip's going along here. The Lord speaks to Philip and he says, I want you to join yourself to this chariot. This Ethiopian eunuch is there and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And the Ethiopian eunuch knew that there was something very powerful about Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 through 8, which is where he was. But he needed an anointed man of God to explain it. And so he looks at Philip, and his first question is this. He says, Of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself 
or some other man. And God is my witness, Philip saw an open door. Amen. We need to get our spiritual blinders off and let God open us up in the spiritual realm. How many open doors to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ do we walk by every single day? This man asked one question and he gave Philip a door and Philip walked through that door. It was a fancy chariot. This guy was over the treasures of the queen of Ethiopia. Here he was, powerful, rich man. He asked Philip one question and what does Philip do? Philip answers him by preaching Christ to him. That's what the word says in verse 35. Philip wastes no time. He opens his mouth and preaches Christ to him. Let me break the gospel message down for you really quick, okay? The true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ will always include the virgin birth and the subsequent ministry of Jesus Christ. It will always include the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It will always include the ascension and the imminent return of Jesus. It will always recruit, include the need for repentance, confessing faith, believing in Christ. Uh, it'll always include the blood of Jesus, and it'll always include the necessity of water baptism. That's the, that's the gospel message. That Anybody that preaches anything different from that or deviates from that is not preaching the gospel, the gospel, okay? So here we are, and the Bible said that, uh, that Philip is preaching Christ to this guy, and this guy's get, his life's getting wrecked. I mean, evidently he was some type of a believer anyway because the Bible said that he went to Jerusalem to worship. And he was on his way back, so there's, very, there's a strong possibility that, that he was actually a Jew. But he went, he went to Jerusalem to worship, and then the Bible said on the way back, all of a sudden, here he is on the way back, and Philip preaches Christ to this guy. So then they're going along there, and the Ethiopian asks another question. He said, what hinders me from being baptized? And they stopped the chariot, and Philip baptized him there. And that was Acts chapter 8, verse 36, which tells me that Philip must have included the necessity of water baptism in this conversation. And wanting to be obedient to the Lord, the Ethiopian said, okay, I want to be baptized. Now, let me get into some pastoral stuff here. I want to talk to you a little bit about water baptism. What is the correct method for water baptism? What's the correct method? It's immersion. It's immersion. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 12 that we are buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who's raised Him from the dead. The word baptized is the Greek word baptisma or baptismo, which means to soak within and without. It's not taking a cup and dropping it in a five-gallon bucket of water. It's taking a sponge, plunging it into the water, squeezing it and letting it soak everything up inside and out, inside and out, and inside and out. That is the correct word for baptism. And it's immersion. It's getting immersed in and without. And some people say, well, you know, water baptism is just simply a witness to the world that you're, dead, that you're dead to the world and you're alive in Christ. It's more than that. 
It doesn't wash your sins away. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that washes your sins away. But, what, but there's something that happens to your spirit when you, re, when you go down in the water and come back up that allows your spirit to somehow connect with God. And, and there's a realization that comes inside of you that you are now identified with Christ. I'm walking in identification with Christ. I have been buried with him in baptism and now I am risen with him, listen to this, through the faith of the operation of God. So when God looks down and sees me coming back up out of the water, what does God see? God sees somebody I can operate on now. I can operate on, I can operate in, and I can operate through. It's important. Water baptism is important. It's important. It's not going to send you to heaven. It's not going to keep you out of heaven. But it's important. Water baptism is important. So then we go to the next part, okay? What is the correct way to water baptize? Do we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or do we baptize in the name of Jesus? Oh, joy, 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 joy. I get to touch this today. Because the devil has used this little tidbit right here to create all kinds of divisions in the church today. He's created entire denominations just off of this. It's the devil's way to divide the church. I don't believe that God is into sectarianism. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, it was Jesus that said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name. Somebody say name. name. Does that say S? It's just name, isn't it? Name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Then in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. These two scriptures are what they wore over. One says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the other, and Jesus is the one that said that. And the other one says, baptize them in the name of Jesus. And this is where the war is at. And during my growing up years when I was a teenager, there was a small period of time there where we were involved with Jesus only and oneness people and things like that. And so I really studied it because I wanted to know the truth. And here's the scripture that the Lord led to me, led me to. It's in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Amen. And it's like the Lord spoke to me and said, what's the problem? The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, if it's the name of Jesus, if you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're baptizing them in the name of Jesus anyway. And so then if you say, well, I'm just going to baptize in the name of Jesus, then you're deviating away from what Jesus said. So what do we do? Here's what we do. We say, Lord, we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son who is Jesus and the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. And when you do that, you cover it all and you take the teeth out of the devil's argument and you try to bring these people together. Let me tell you something. When I was growing up, those couple of years that we were involved with people like now, they were old-time Pentecost, but we came out old-time Pentecost. Even in the Trinity churches, they were old. I mean, my goodness, did they shout the bobby pins down out of their hair? Yes, they did. Hallelujah. 
It was amazing. It was. I mean, anybody ever seen a Holy Ghost runaway? Anyone ever been around Holy Ghost runaway? Where somebody went, woo, and just took off running, and then about 15 people went, woo, and took off running, and they were running into each other and all that kind of stuff, and nobody ever got hurt? All right. I grew up around that. Then when we went over to the oneness folks, they were doing the same thing. And let me tell you something. Here's what I found out. The Trinity folks love God, and the oneness folks love God. And the grandmas in the Trinity group, they're going to pray until they ring the prayer bells of heaven. And the grandmas in the oneness group are going to pray in the name of Jesus until they ring the prayer bells of heaven. They all want the same, same thing. They want an unprecedented move of God where people's hearts are turned to God, where people's lives are changed and transformed. But the devil's got the church fighting with one another and spending all of their energy fighting one another while the lost go by outside the church door. And I think it's time that the church smartens up and realizes that none of Satan's devices will work anymore. We're going to take this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to take it into amphitheaters. We're going to take it down to the beach. We're going to put it on the, in parking lots. We're going to put it on the street corner. We're going to herald the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ all across this county and then across this state and all around the world. And we're going to experience a global revival as God's people get over themselves and come aligned and identified with Jesus Christ. Man, I'm preaching like a prophet, preacher, apostle, whatever you want to call it this morning. Apostles set the house in order. There's an anointing for that. Now, one more passage of Scripture. I've got this in the Amplified also. It's in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. We're talking about water baptism, the purpose of water baptism, and why should we be water baptized and the significance of it. Here we go. What shall we say to all this? Are we to remain in sin in order that God's grace, favor, and mercy may multiply and overflow? Absolutely not. Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live any longer therein? Sin has no power over you. It has no power over you. You died to sin. So how can you live in sin? If you're living in sin then you went back and allowed that sin to resurrect inside of you. Kill it again. How do I kill it? You take another trip back to Calvary, to the cross. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only answer to the world. He's the only answer for lost people and saved people alike. And then it goes on, verse number six, six, uh, or chapter six, verse number three of, of the book of Romans. It says, Are you ignorant? That means unlearned of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him. We were buried with him by the baptism into death 
so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might habitually live and behave in newness of life. Woo! How come you're all the time acting like you're blessed? Because I am. How come you all the time acting like you might cough a little bit and say, I believe I'm healed? How come you're doing that? Because I am. How come you're saying all of the time, I believe I'm prosperous and, and sometimes you don't have enough money to even pay attention, but you're saying I'm prosperous because I am. It's my habit to walk in newness of life. It's my habit to let the dead things be dead and let the live things be alive. It's my habit. I can't help it. I'm habitually a Christian. You ever heard of a habitual criminal? I'm a habitual Christian. You know what that means? That means you can't talk me out of it. You can't entice me out of it. You can't manipulate me out of it. You can't can't convince me away from it. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And I believe that I am who he says he is. And I believe that I am identified with him. And I walk in newness of life every single day because his mercies are new every morning. And his grace and mercy has covered me. And there's an anointing and a power inside of me that I cannot adequately explain but because I can't explain it doesn't mean I don't live in it and doesn't mean I don't operate by it look out devil I'm walking in newness of life come on church come on we need to get Tommy Bates in here today Tommy Bates Tommy Bates some of y'all know who he is (sighs) buried with him by baptism into death So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might habitually live and behave and behave in newness of life. (laughs) For if we have become one with him by sharing a death like this, we shall also be one with him in sharing his resurrection by a new life lived for God. (laughs) Total commitment in death. Amen. Total resurrection in life. We know that our old, unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order. I I had a hard time reading through this in the office too, just so you know. I just want to. We know that our old, unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil that we might no longer be the slaves of sin. I'm going to read that again. We know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be the slaves of sin. So when the enemy comes up to you and says, I'm going to take you back into that bondage, you tell him, you say, you can't do it because that part of my life is inactive. Mm -hmm. For when a man dies, he's freed, loosed, and delivered from the power of sin among men. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him because we know that Christ, the anointed one, 
being once raised from the dead, will never die again. Why? He doesn't have to. You know why? Because death no longer has any power over him. Woo, hallelujah. For by death he died. He died to sin, ending his relationship to sin once for all. And the life that he lives, he is living to God, which is in unbroken fellowship with him. Even so, consider yourselves also, like Jesus, dead to sin, like Jesus, and your relation to it, relationship to it broken like Jesus, but alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. What are you doing? I'm letting that sink in. Selah. Thank you, Doc. Selah. We no longer have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Why? Because we're inactive. Our flesh is inactive. Our sin nature is inactive. We are redeemed. I'm trying to hurry. So, in light of all of this, in verse number 12, let not sin therefore rule as a king in your mortal, I like what the Amplified says here, short-lived and perishable bodies. To make you yield to its cravings and be subject to its lust and evil passions. We were having a conversation yesterday. And I shared with my daughter-in-law how my best friend Wayne got saved years and years and years ago. I'm not going to share that whole story with you. One of these days he might be here to share it with you. But Wayne tells me when the Lord saved him 35 or 40 years ago, at that very moment... He was delivered from drugs, from alcohol, and from promiscuity. God turned his life around. He said, I've never went back to it. And let me tell you something, folks. He was a rascal. I mean, some of the stories, he was a rascal. You see what's going on in the church today? is we're just too busy trying to counsel out what we need to be casting out. Amen. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching the truth. Well, we just, we just need to have a little more, you know, uh, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. Get saved. Fall in love with Jesus. Get the old man crucified. Get him dead. I've never met someone who got set free, that stayed free, who wasn't from the day they gave their life to Christ, who wasn't addicted to and in and engulfed in the Word. 
It's the people who come forward and try to make the big show and want everybody to respect them and want everybody, and all this kind of stuff. And then they go out and the only time they're in the Word is on Sunday morning and they wonder why in the world they can't be free. It's because your old man isn't dead. You haven't crucified it. You're not saved. That's why. You said it with your mouth, but you didn't identify with Christ in your heart. Well, what about grace? Well, what about grace? Quit using grace as an excuse to do whatever you want to do. That's not what grace... That's another... Oh, my goodness, don't get over there. Cheapening the message of grace. Cheapening the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Cheapening the power of the blood of Jesus. I believe in grace. But the kind of grace that the Bible teaches... Let not sin therefore rule as king in your mortal short-lived perishable bodies, perishable bodies to make you yield to its cravings and be subject to its lust and evil passions. Do not continue offering or yielding your bodily members and faculties to sin as instruments or tools of wickedness, but offer and yield yourselves to God as though you have been raised from the dead to perpetual life and your bodily members and faculties to God, presenting them as implements of not sin but righteousness. For sin shall not any longer... Exert dominion over you since now you are not under the law as slaves, but you are under grace as subjects of God's mercy and God's favor. Here's what I'm trying to get across to you, folks. The message of the the real message, the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ will not be accepted by everybody that you talk to about it. Don't try to repackage it and make it palatable so the world will accept something that can't set them free. When Philip joined himself to this chariot and talked to this man, the Bible said he preached Christ to him. He preached Christ to him. I've had people tell me through the years, you'll never grow a significant church by the way that you preach. And I've looked at them and I've told them over and over and over again, if what you mean is I have to water down the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to attract a crowd, you're probably right. Because to me, ministry success is not found in the number that's in the seats. It's found in hearing him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Every single one of us can go home and turn on the television and get whatever flavor of gospel that suits our fancy.
And if you can't find it on the multiple satellite channels that are popping up everywhere, you can sure find it on the internet. Somebody give me a Bible. I got it on my phone. This right here is the only true gospel. Did you hear me? This is the only true gospel. Philip preached Christ to the Ethiopian. Preached Christ through a conversation. The Ethiopian gave his life to the Lord and wanted to be baptized. After it was all said and done, the Bible said that the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing and the Spirit of the Lord picked Philip up and took him somewhere else. And the Bible said when he was set down wherever he was over there, that he just kept on preaching Jesus. Just kept on preaching Jesus. Nothing in our lives should ever replace the gospel message. Nothing. He came. He lived. He died. He rose. He ascended. And he's coming again. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand, church. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.